Good morning. New York City Council members demand transparency and accountability from the NYPD. They want to know how many stops do the cops make. Biden goes to battle with the GOP. Is greed behind the railroad disaster in Ohio? A railroad worker speaks out, and the mayor says he wants to smoke out illegal smoke shops. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the news for Thursday morning, February 9th, 2023. Hope is fading. Rescuers will find many more survivors after the deadliest earthquake in more than a decade devastated parts of Turkey and Syria. Search teams from around the world are joining tens of thousands of local responders, but the vast scale of the devastation is leaving many survivors waiting for help. Meanwhile, countless families have already began burying their loved ones. The death toll from the 7.8 quake has already soared past 11,000, with news of more deaths coming in by the hour. In northern Syria, a decade of civil war has already caused immense destruction, with millions dependent on humanitarian aid. 1.7 million live in refugee camps. Border crossings between Syria and Turkey, closed for years by the conflict, were reopened to allow aid into the region, although how long the border posts will remain open is questionable. In a surprise visit to Britain and France on Tuesday, Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky sought more Western support for his country in the war with Russia. Later today, Zelensky will join EU leaders at a summit being signaled as one of solidarity and community. The Ukrainian president pressed for fighter jets in a dramatic speech to the UK Parliament. The call for arms is coming as Russia is reportedly planning offensive and Kyiv is determined to seize lost territory. And in national news, President Joe Biden challenged Republicans to lift the U.S. debt ceiling and support taxing wealthy Americans on Tuesday during his State of the Union address. He called Republicans his friends and sparred with other Republican members as some heckled and jeered at times. He then urged lawmakers to stand up for senior citizens, which they did, prompting Biden to claim victory. Some of my Republican friends want to take the economy hostage. I get it, unless I agree to their economic plans. All of you at home should know what those plans are. Instead of making the wealthy pay their fair share, some Republicans, some Republicans want Medicare and Social Security to sunset. I'm not saying it's a majority. Let me give you, anybody who doubts it, contact my office. I'll give you a copy. I'll give you a copy of the proposal. No, I tell you, I enjoy conversion. You know, it means if, if Congress doesn't keep the programs the way they are, they'd go away. Other Republicans say, I'm not saying it's a majority of you. I don't even think it's even a significant. But it's being proposed by individuals. I'm not politely not naming them, but it's being proposed by some of you. Look, folks, the idea is that we're not going to be we're, we're not going to be moved into being threatened to default on the debt if we don't respond. <laughs> folks, so folks, as we all apparently agree, Social Security and Medicare is off the, off the books now, right? They're not to be stopped. Meanwhile, Biden's popularity edged higher after the speech, the 41% in a Reuters Ipsos opinion poll. About 65% of Americans in the poll say the country is on the wrong track. Closer to home. 
Multiple people were shot outside of Williamsburg Charter High School in Brooklyn Wednesday afternoon. Shots were fired shortly after 2 p.m. Two students and one adult were shot and are in stable condition. The shooter escaped on foot. Another teen was injured outside the same school last year. The school itself has metal detectors. The incident comes as the NYPD says the number of youth shooting victims has doubled to 153 last year. The cops say the shooters are getting younger, too, as gun arrests of juveniles has soared. Mayor Eric Adams, a former police officer, says he wants to focus on school safety, although charter schools are not run by the city. About 10% of New York's 1 million public school students attend charter schools. Meanwhile, on Tuesday, a coalition of groups under the banner Communities United for Police Reform and the Justice Committee held a news conference on the steps of City Hall. They were supporting two bills before the city council requiring the NYPD keep records of people who voluntarily speak with police in the streets. There's already a law, the Right to Know Act, demanding records of stops where officers had probable cause, but advocates say they want to know more about the non-criminal stops where police are often fishing for information. Full transparency! Full transparency! Is what we need! Is what we need! How many stops at? How many stops at? It must succeed! It must succeed! Thank y'all! Thank y'all! City Council member Crystal Hudson is sponsor of one of the two bills. She says the City Council has the right to know. Introduction 538 builds on the groundbreaking Right to Know Act by requiring the NYPD to report on the number of requests for consent to search. So not just actual searches, but the requests for consent to search. The Right to Know Act required the NYPD to report on the number of consented searches, but not on the number of requests, which would include searches that are denied. We need this data in order to fully understand the comprehensive scope of search requests by the NYPD. And without a law requiring that the NYPD provide this information, we already know we're not going to get it. This bill also includes provisions for requests to search things like vehicles, homes, properties, or even collecting a sample of DNA. And it requires the NYPD to report whether the officer used interpretation services when attempting to obtain consent to search from someone with limited English proficiency. City Council member Crystal Hudson. Public advocate Jumani Williams sponsored the right to know legislation that ended stop and frisk several years ago. Williams says without information, there can be no accountability. We cannot hold folks accountable. We cannot help our city with better policing and public safety if we don't know things like how many stops are actually happening. And as we learned, those stops have impact on people Those stops have impact on young people who then view law enforcement a certain way, which then becomes a vicious cycle. So all the folks who care about better policing, all those folks who care about safer streets, who care about public safety, join us in either supporting, and if you're a council member, getting on to the How Many Stops Act. Because we just don't know, as I mentioned, we simply know the amount of the level stop, the level three stops that had to do with the abuse of stop, question, frisk. But we know there's a lot more happening. And please, don't make this a fault line, because it's not a real one. There's a lot more that we have to dig into to figure out how we move forward. This should not be the fault line that we have to fight once again. And the apparent murder of Tyree Nichols by five former officers from a since-disbanded anti-crime task force was integral to the news conference on Wednesday. Sammy Felice told the story of how in 2019 his brother Alan was killed by police 
in the Bronx, shot one time in the chest during a traffic stop for not wearing a seatbelt. My brother was stopped in his vehicle. He was beaten, tasered, and fatally shot in one time in the chest. After he was shot, the officers, which there were three involved, it was Sergeant Jonathan Rivera, Officers Edward Barrett, and Officer Michelle Amanzar. After my brother was shot by Sergeant Jonathan Rivera, Officer Barrett yanked his body out of the car, exposing his genitals and leaving him at three o'clock in the afternoon for the world to see, kids walking home from school and things like that. Instead of providing him any type of medical assistance or even covering him up, having that decency, they denied that. They left him out to bleed and while my brother laid on the floor for the next 18 minutes, losing his life, he wasn't provided any first aid. And this all happened half a block away from Mount Fiore Hospital. My brother could have been saved, even though they made a mistake. Sammy Felice, in 2019, his brother Alan was killed by police in the Bronx. Police claim Felice shifted his car, moving the vehicle backwards and forwards with the cops still inside. Felice was unarmed. Activist Ibrahim X of Vocal New York says these encounters turn violent because police overreact. Because I don't feel safe by the over-policing of my community. They are not connecting us to services. They are not protecting or serving us or treating us with care or courtesy. Instead, they're surveilling us, harassing us, brutalizing us, and occupying our neighborhoods. That is not safety. We need transparency and oversight. That's why I am fighting. That's why we are fighting for the How Many Stops Act. My experiences are not unique. For every time they stop me, they're stopping hundreds more people who look like me, who look like you. Councilwoman Alexa Viles, one of the sponsors of the legislation, says the reason police are opposing the release of the stop and question data is obvious. Do you know why people don't collect data? Why, we ask. Why? Because they want to hide what they are doing. When there is no data, you cannot prove. You can use stories and hyperbole. You can use the outliers to say that that is the reality. So we say absolutely not. We demand the data. We want to see what is happening. So on this basic premise, and some people will say, well, damn, this is a lot of work to report data. Well, in order to do better by our communities, in order to make sure we are spending our money appropriately, we need to do better and demand better. And data is one of those things. And that's what these bills do. In response to this reporter's question of Mayor Adams' crime-fighting tactics harken back to the heavy-handed policing of former Mayor Rudy Giuliani, Avila says the mayor has to deliver on his promises to everyone. If you can't go to the feds and the mayor is, is he, is he just another Giuliani who's just changed his look? I mean, what's going on? Listen, we are out here, right? The city council is supposed to be the co-equal branch of government. We're the legislative body. We are clearly saying, a majority of us, and more to come, that we want this to be passed. This is the right way forward. Um, that's the clear message we are standing behind. We'll continue to push that. We expect him to deliver on that, and we expect him to run a different kind of system, right? 
You are supposed to represent all of us, not as you pick and choose as is according to whatever situation. Because he's worse than the media. You mentioned media earlier, and the mayor's yeah. really been doing it. Without question. There's a lot of bad behavior going around and a lot of fear-mongering and a lot of um, cheating our communities, quite frankly, because this is not a matter of resources, okay? Our communities have been starved in the wealthiest city in the world. Right. So there is no, this is not a question of resources. This is a question of who you value. Do you value human dignity? Do you value the most vulnerable? And are you willing to actually step into that in real ways? Not rhetorically, not with renamed stuff that doesn't work, right? Not with, with programs that have no evidence at all. Ask yourselves. Do any of the agencies, particularly the NYPD, have they produced any evidence, data backing any of their programs that we have talked about? Zero evidence. Councilwoman Alexa Aviles, the issue of police violence was on the mind of President Biden as he delivered his State of the Union address on Tuesday. Among the folks Biden invited to the annual joint session of Congress were Tyree Nichols' parents. Biden recounted the coming-of-age moment for many black men when they have the talk about the dangers of police violence. Imagine having to worry like that every single time your kid got in a car. Here's what Tyree's mother shared with me when I spoke to her. When I asked her how she finds the courage to carry on and speak out, with the faith of God, she said her son was, quote, a beautiful soul and something good will come of this. Imagine how much courage and character that takes. Just as every cop, when they pin on that badge in the morning, has a right to be able to go home at night, so does everybody else out there. Our children have a right to come home safely. But what happened to Tyree in Memphis happens too often. We have to do better. Give law enforcement the real training they need hold them to higher standards, help them succeed in keeping us safe. And when police officers or police departments violate the public trust, they must be held accountable. During his hour-long speech, Biden avoided any mention of his predecessor, former President Donald Trump, but Biden noted a rise in political violence with a shout-out to former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband, Paul, who was attacked by a hammer-wielding intruder in his San Francisco home. Just a few months ago, an unhinged big lie assailed and unleashed a political violence the home of the then-Speaker of the House of Representatives. Using the very same language the insurrectionists used as they stalked these halls and chanted on January 6th. Here tonight in this chamber is a man who bears the scars of that brutal attack, but is as tough and as strong and as resilient as they get. My friend Paul Pelosi. Paul, stand up. Both Pelosi's were in the audience. Paul Pelosi sat next to pop star Bono, who was also a guest for this speech. The attacker, David DePape, entered the couple's California home asking, where's Nancy? And has pleaded not guilty to charges that include attempted murder. And 
In more national news, broadcast reporter Evan Lambert of News Nation was pushed to the ground, handcuffed, and arrested for trespassing Wednesday while covering a news conference with Ohio Governor Mike DeWine about the derailment of a train carrying toxic chemicals. Lambert was held for about five hours before being released from jail. At the end of his news conference, DeWine said he didn't authorize the arrest and reporters have every right to report during briefings. It has always been my practice that if I'm doing a press conference, if someone wants to report out there and they want to be talking to the people back on channel, whatever, they have every right to do that. Um, so, you know, that should not, if that someone was stopped from doing that or told they could not do that, that was wrong. Uh, and it was nothing that I authorized uh, and certainly it would be something that I would not want to see happen. This happens, uh, you know, we do this, I do this all the time. And... Um, yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm certainly very, very sorry uh, that, that that happened. I don't know all the facts, but he or she, whoever was arrested, had every right uh, to be reporting and do what they do every single day. News Nation's Washington Bureau Chief called the arrest an infuriating violation of the First Amendment. About 50 train cars, including 10 carrying hazardous materials, including the chemical vinyl chloride, derailed in a fiery crash Friday night on the edge of East Palestine. Federal investigators say a mechanical issue with a rail car axle caused the accident. The workers on the train and similar freight trains are represented by about a dozen labor unions. An independent group, Railroad Workers United, has been providing information about railroad workers, including a recent strike threat ended by President Joe Biden, who made use of a law giving legislators power to veto strikes in the industry. Workers say recent mergers prompted by hedge fund operators have created intolerable working conditions, making accidents like the Ohio derailment inevitable. A retired railroad worker, Fritz Elder, spoke with the news this week about the causes of the derailment. There's basically two parts to the story of the wreck. One is what has been currently identified as a failed axle on one of the cars. And that's basically a 19th century problem. That's a problem that should never take place in the modern era with the kinds of resources that we have, you know, know how to have. It basically comes down to failure to do the proper jobs in terms of inspections. That failure probably wouldn't have created the accident that took place in the in a dramatic way that it did if they hadn't also made the train extra long, extra heavy, didn't take the time to properly distribute the weight. You call it precision scheduled railroading. Yes. What is that? Starting 15 years or so ago, one particular high-ranking class one manager, a guy named Hunter Harrison, and his partners in a hedge fund started working to take over one by one control leadership of the various class one railroads, which made it look very attractive to various Wall Street forces and whatnot. And one by one by one, Harrison and his hedge fund buddies managed to get a majority on all of the class one railroads to do this, what they called precision scheduled railroading. It's not precision. It's not scheduled, and it's not railroading. Essentially, what it ends up in the end is is selling off assets, getting rid of as many employees as possible, driving down the cost 
of the labor side of the equation as much as possible, reducing things like maintenance and whatnot. This looks really good in the short term to investors. Is the United States freight railway system more dangerous than it's been? Is it becoming more dangerous? Absolutely, absolutely more so. The technology remains in place, but then the operating practices, things that involve the people, the things that involve the training, the things that involve the readiness, those things are all diminished. Then you end up with a less safe situation. If you look at the statistics, you'll see more and more of these kinds of incidents that should never take place. In this case, for example, the determination so far appears to be that this axle failure was the initiating thing that took place that caused the uh, original derailment. Now, there's regulations about how the inspections are supposed to be done and how the regularity of all that is supposed to be done. And what happens is the railroad got rid of lots and lots and lots of mechanical people and then petitioned the FRA for waivers against the regularity and the locations in which they had to do these kinds of inspections or even repairs. In some case, they identify a defect and they get permission to run the car anyway because it's inconvenient for them to set it out or to work on it or whatever. The NTSB has reported that a wayside detector detected the problem, but it detected it essentially at the last minute. When this is all over, you're going to find out that they knew about this defect and they let it go anyway. And if it's not that they knew about it, that they passed up on the opportunities to do the inspections that they should have done, because this should never have happened. When they make these longer and heavier trains, they do it because they technically can do it. In other words, they have enough power and things like that but they haven't done all of the necessary research about the dynamics and the way that these longer and heavier trains will work in the real world. And that's why we see an increasing number, even of less serious derailments that take place because they haven't done their homework. You're gonna find out that the regulators are, are in cahoots, if you will, in the sense that they only wanna look at the last failed link of a long chain of things. If you watch this investigation, mark my words, what you're gonna find out is that they will single out just one little factor and they won't really get into the details of that. So if they say, well, it's the failed axle, they'll say, okay, that's the end of it. They won't say, well, well how come it was failed? How come it didn't get caught? The train dynamics made this wreck the horrible thing that it was. And that community is gonna end up suffering for a very long time and what they keep trying to make out like there's no environmental damage but one thing we know from things like the wreck and lack megantic is that these burning fires that burn for days intense heat they convert the chemicals that are already known to be dangerous into brand new dangerous chemical compounds that will be in the soil and in the water at those locations, and they probably won't be traced because they'll consider them to not actually be a product of the wreck. Fritz Elder is a retired freight railroad worker. About half of the 4,800 residents in the eastern Ohio town of East Palestine and those in the surrounding area, including parts of Pennsylvania, 
had to evacuate as officials monitored air and water quality following a controlled burn of chemicals on the train. The evacuation order was lifted Wednesday. In 2013, a derailment in Canada killed 47 people in the town of Lekmagantic, causing massive damage. And finally, New York City Mayor Eric Adams and Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg have announced a partnership with local law enforcement and elected officials to close down unlicensed marijuana retailers that have sprouted throughout the city. On Tuesday, the NYPD filed complaints against four storefronts in the East Village located in the 9th Precinct. A complaint alleges an underage undercover cop purchased some cannabis products. A letter from the DA threatens civil actions to force landlords to evict the smoke shops. Mayor Eric Adams had this to say. These individuals have been selling cannabis without a license and were illegally selling products to underage auxiliary officers as part of our uh, test cases. And so those who are selling illegal cannabis, they have no regard if you're selling it to minors or anyone else. This is a real issue that we are zeroing in on. And we're not going to stand by while illegal outlets sell drugs and vapes to our children, while simultaneously undermining an emerging industry that can provide jobs and justice for adults. This justice and jobs that we have fought for for years. We're not going to only use the tool of eviction. We're going to use the tool of proper enforcement. And that is why many of these initiatives are taking place at once. We have given them plenty of time to clean up the act, and we won't stop until every illegal smoke shop is rolled up and stubbed out and know that there are ways to sell legal cannabis. And the city's top civil lawyer, known as the Corporation Counsel, Sylvia Hines Radix, says more actions against unlicensed pot purveyors are coming. The East Village community raised complaints with the NYPD and working with the law department, the city took action. As detailed in our complaints on three separate occasions, at each location, a plainclothes officer observed an undercover auxiliary officer under the age of 21 purchase cannabis from these defendant smoke shops. The sales included blunts, mylar bags of cannabis, labeled Savage New Year, yellow fruit stripes, premium roll 2020 future bubble gum, and dub garden Oreos. These prices range from $25 to $30. The NYPD tested the cannabis. And let me highlight for you. There was no fruit or bubble gum or candy in these purchases. <laughs> Late last year, the city's first licensed cannabis dispensary was opened in the East Village by the activist nonprofit Housing Works. Another licensed shop owned by a former pot prisoner popped up in the West Village last month. The law legalizing marijuana in the state passed last year, giving communities most hurt by the war on drugs first dibs on licenses. But the plan has been vexed by numerous unlicensed shops opening throughout the city. And that's the news for Thursday morning, February 9th, 2023. The news was produced by this reporter. You can listen to the news at pauldurienzo.com. From New York City, I'm Paul Durienzo. Thanks for listening. <laughs>